Today we're going to consider the fear of physical harm. The fear of harm may be woven into the fear of exposure and the fear of rejection. And the solution to both of those fears was to fear God more. So something that you may hear today may also apply to the fear of exposure or the fear of rejection. The point of the class is not to pick apart our motives to some degree that we can't understand, but rather to seek to try to understand these fear of man's and hopefully to repent where we can and make some changes. I'm sure that we're all aware of areas of our lives that we would like to change. As I consider the pervasive nature of the fear of man in my own heart and how it seems to be woven into the very fabric of my being, Change seems unlikely, if not even possible. But Christ comforts us in Luke 18 when he says, What is impossible for men is possible with God. So with that hope in our hearts, why don't I open this up in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be, be thy name. We praise you because you hear our prayers. You incline your ear towards us and you have mercy on us. Even when we find ourselves in the valley, we need not fear because you are there with us. So be with us today as we consider these things, Father. Do the impossible. Cleanse us from the fear of man. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first point in our handout um, is our introduction. We'll be looking at Matthew 10:28, there at the top of your outlines. And it reads, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but, not, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Here Jesus is clearly telling us that we shouldn't fear fear harm from others, but yet we still do fear others. And why is that? Well, simply it's because people can hurt us. Since Cain killed Abel in Genesis 3, men and women have had good reason to fear harm from other people. But we don't have to look at scripture to understand what this struggle looks like and feels like. In many ways, the fear of physical harm seems to be one of the most realistic forms of fear to us. When I speak about fearing men, especially in the context of physical harm, I am not dismissing an appropriate concern for safety and security. This type of thoughtful concern for safety can be reflected in a number of ways. By uh, by not walking through certain neighborhoods alone at night, by providing adequate security and safety for our kids in school and in children's ministry, in a way a husband and father would be concerned about the safety of his wife and children and would seek to minimize opportunities of physical harm. And I'm certain that there are countless examples of other things that we could think of to illustrate an appropriate, appropriate concern for physical safety. But yet Jesus commands us not to fear. So how do we reconcile what Jesus is, is commanding not to fear, with our understanding that being safe is a good thing. So let's look closely at what Jesus is saying here. He is recognizing that people can hurt us, that they can also go as far as killing us, which is the ultimate form of physical harm. In fact, he experienced this himself. But what he is telling us is that we need a radical reorientation of this fear of man. In one sense, the fear of harm from others is appropriate because we want to be wise and avoid such harm to protect ourselves and others. So if this fear, that concern for physical safety, as I described it, is appropriate, what is Jesus saying to us? He's saying that our fear of God should be far above our fear of man. 
if we could measure it on a scale, an appropriate for your man would be a pebble compared to the mountain that would be appropriate for God. If you're the one who determines your eternal destiny, whether you live in everlasting judgment or in everlasting life, this is the one whom we should fear. This is the one in whom we should place our trust. This is the one who controls our lives. And this is the one whom we serve. Before we talk any further about the fear of harm from others, I realize that this can be a sensitive area for some people in this room because of past experiences with physical harm. You may have been a victim of another person's sin. We will spend some time later talking through how the gospel addresses these past experiences of physical harm. Those who have been victims of physical harm can only properly understand and address those experiences through the lens of the gospel. Some of the categories may be fresh in your mind and experiences. Our purpose of thinking through these categories is not to relive those experiences, but to give us a proper framework as we think through these things in our lives and how to minister to others. Point two in your handout. The fear of physical harm. The family. Some of the most difficult and painful forms of physical harm take place in the family. Whether between spouses, parents, children, or other family members, abuse that takes place in the context of family relationships can be the most painful kind, as they should be characterized by the highest levels of trust, love, and vulnerability. Exploitation. Sexual exploitation is another way in which we fear others when a man emotionally and or physically takes advantage of a woman. Bullies. Bullying is another real form of how we fear harm from others. It's most clearly seen between students. Some of this just seems to be part of childhood. But in how we instruct our children in dealing with physical violent children, we can also use this as an opportunity to teach them to fear the Lord more than people. Because neighborhood bullies will grow up. We need to use these as opportunities to teach our children how to deal with their fears. Sharing the gospel. Excuse me. Sharing the gospel. Persecution of physical suffering for the gospel is another common fear. Are you afraid to go to certain parts of the world because of physical harm? Are you feeling maybe led to go on a mission trip, but fear the physical harm that you may face? This can be a very real threat. Terrorism. In a world where terror attacks are random and increasingly frequent, this can become a fear of man that becomes paralyzing. Racism. This can manifest itself in a fear of physical harm and or fear of rejection. Are there certain people that you fear physically harm from simply because of the color of the skin or their ethnic background? Do you feel safer or less safe around people of a particular skin color? Do you carry that fear into your relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you allow that fear to keep you from trusting in God? Do you allow that fear to keep you from loving your neighbors as Christ commanded? Again, I want to say that different people struggle with this fear in different ways. As we continue to look at these fears through the lens of the gospel, I do not intend to gloss over particular ways that you may be struggling, but these categories may provide 
great conversation starters with another Christian friend or maybe an elder in this church. Point three in the handout. Fear of non-physical harm. Abusive speech. It is simply not true that sticks and bones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. A verbally abusive boss, a spouse, or a parent will produce the same type of fear of man that physical acts of harm will produce. It is not simply a fear of being rejected or not being accepted by a person. It is also not simply a fear of exposure, although certainly there can be threads of this running through these encounters. These encounters can leave us feeling as though we have been physically beat up and weighed down. The emotional and psychological burden can be crushing. Sexual harassment. Sexual harassment can also fall into one of these categories. Whether you're experiencing unwanted sexual advances from someone or have been mistreated in the past, this can cause you to fear and mistrust others in the future. With any of these issues, I am not suggesting that Scripture says that we should stay in an abusive situation. Certainly, if you're in a situation like this, it would be wise to speak to an elder or another brother and sister that, uh, in whom you trust. As we consider proper responses to these situations, we may need to pray for wisdom and strength, to show love and gentleness to a person. In other cases, we may need to speak difficult words and truthful words to that person. Those who fear being harmed are often tempted to either remain silent or be angry. But the gospel calls us to something different. I think it's probably a good point to stop and just see if there's any questions or comments as we get into the fear of man. Have any of you ever kept from doing anything because of fear of harm? Difficult subject to talk about, eh? <coughs> well, I'll share, a, I'll share a story with you. I, when I was in college, part of the college, one of the college courses was that I had to go down to New York City. I think it was to Houston or Houston Street and get my FCC license. <clears throat> so um, I took the Croton on Hudson down to Grand Central Station, and it was during rush hour. And I got out of the train and was trying to find the, the shuttle to Houston Street, which was downtown in the city. And the crowd was so bad that it basically carried me onto another, another train. And I wound up going somewhere that it was somewhere you didn't want to go. And the buildings quickly uh, looked like they were hit by a bomb. And there was uh, tubs and stuff hanging out of a window. Remember, hanging by like the faucets of the tub was hanging out of the window. And then the door opened up, and I noticed that many of the people were leaving the train by that point. And uh, I was looking around trying to figure out where the heck I was headed. And the door opened up, and this big guy got in, and he was wearing camouflage stuff. And he sat next to me and had scars all over his face. And the corner of my eye was looking at him, and I was shaking. I was like 19 or 20. You know, I thought I was a tough guy, but this guy, I mean, he was a big dude. And anyway, I was petrified. I didn't know what to do. And I just sat there in that train until it got to the end of its line and then went back to Grand Central Station. And then I got on the first train I could to hop home to get home as quickly as I could. And I never went down here to get my license. But... <laughs> but I thought for sure I was going to die that day. <laughs> so any, any other stories of fearing, of fear of man keeping you from doing something? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Detroit. 
Yes. Yes. So we can see that the fear of harm does keep us from doing things, right? Okay, so let's go on to point four then. How this uh, fear of physical harm shapes our lives. What are some ways that our lives are shaped by this type of fear of man? Well, if the fear is based upon past experiences of physical harm, there can be a very real fear that you'll be hurt again in the future. And this can be paralyzing. In a a sense of being a victim, there can be a perpetual sense of being a victim, a temptation to place blame on all future difficulties based upon past experiences. Being a victim can become a person's identity. For those who have been abused, there may be a temptation to think that you have deserved it. Let me take this opportunity to reject that lie. If you have ever thought that I deserve to be hurt, because I'm a bad person or that God was angry with me. Please hear me. That is a lie. While it's true that we all deserve death because of our sin, and Scripture tells us that the penalty for our sin is death, the punishment that God deals out is a holy justice. There is no evil in God's wrath. When a man or woman unjustly hurts you, if you are abused, it's plainly wrong, and you do not deserve injustice. Self-pity. Self-pity can be a response to past experiences of abuse and injustice. Thoughts like, it would be much easier for me to trust in the Lord if I hadn't experienced this. Or, I can never change from fearing man. It's just the way I am. I guess I am the worst sinner. Self-pity can be a very attractive response, and yet we must recognize that self-pity is just simply another form of pride. Just like a self-confident pride that seems obvious to us, self-pity at its heart is self-focused. It seeks trust in itself instead of God. Our view of relationships. Let's consider some of the other relationships with people. First, a cloud of shameful feelings may plague a person who has experienced physical harm. The person who has been sinned against may feel shame related to that sin. There may be a need or a desire to do penance because of past sins. While it's necessary for us to repent of sins that we have committed, it is a vain pursuit to seek penance, to do penance for being sinned against. The person struggling with this fear of man is likely to struggle with trusting in others, viewing others through the lens of past experiences of physical harm. In a few weeks, we'll look more carefully at how we can move past this view toward, of others toward a more loving and serving view of them. The more we fear, the less we love, and the more tempted we are to withdraw and avoid others. Bitterness. Bitterness can be developed from past hurts. As we struggle with our responses and fail to repent of them and pursue a Christ-like response, they can grow into a root of bitterness towards other people and maybe even towards God himself. Is anyone willing to describe an effect of being hurt that I may not have mentioned in these past couple examples? Perhaps something that you or someone you know has experienced? 
Come on, Mike. Not you, but someone you know. You must have experienced something, some past physical hurt. <laughs> You're talking about a person who's hurt trying to get better? Is that what you're talking about? Well, so somebody who's maybe it's um, in, in, in the case that I'm thinking about for myself, it would be more of a, a mental or emotional abuse, but you try to earn your way out of it with them as a response. Mm-hmm. So. I know going through a divorce is a really painful thing, and the way you handle that can really lead you into forms of bitterness against that other person. Yeah, Martin. I just think there have been way too many cases where the church has really failed in supporting people that have been abused or keeping them supported and even minimizing the offense. You know, just kind of saying, well, you feel that really recognize X. Yes. Yeah, that's true, Martin. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of places just try to push underneath the bed, you know, try to forget about it. Yes. And it's becoming increasingly more frequent that we need to be able to deal with that. Yeah, Heather. scary world we live in, for sure. Okay, well, let's move on. Point five in your handouts. What we need to know about the harmful person. If the harmful person's problem isn't you, then what is it? Is it pride, fear, anger, insecurity, a desire for control? Is it just plain evil? Maybe they are being controlled by the fear of man. This holds true for all types of fear of man. Have you ever stopped to consider this? That the person you may be fearing may also very well be fearing man. They probably think that their sin is small. Point two. They need the gospel and not our fear. Our fear-driven response to the harmful person is to try to avoid them. But what they really need to hear is the gospel. The abusive person may have never had anyone speak truthfully into their lives about the consequences of their actions. They may have learned that the only way to guard or protect what they want is to invoke fear in others. 
It takes great humility and courage, patience, and, truthful, and truthfulness to confront and to, and to resist a harmful person. Living in fear or even contempt may feel easier, and ironically, in some cases, even feels safer than the uncertainty of speaking truthfully to them and calling them to account for what they're doing. Point three, we are all more similar to the harmful person than to Christ. This is not to minimize our standing as Christians in Christ, his sympathizing with our weakness and afflictions, but our sin caused Christ harm. Even if we don't picture ourselves as one of the Roman soldiers that pierced him, your sin required that to take place. This is an important piece, and I'm not trying to minimize in any way the sin of those who are attempting to harm us in either by word or deed. However, when we are a victim of another person's sin, there can be a temptation to see that person as more worthy of judgment and less deserving of mercy from the Lord. Point four. What if I'm the one causing harm? First, repent. Whether it's verbal or physical abuse, consider the impact of your sin. You may be acting out of perceived slights or pride or insecurity or whatever, but your sin has an impact. When you seek to harm others, whether intentionally or not, you are not only sinning yourself, you are tempting the other person to wrongly fear you. When you, <clears throat> you are, in a sense, tempting the other person to change their theology. With your actions, you are seeking to, to have them fear you instead of God. And this is the real wickedness in harming others. Point six. Scriptural, scriptural, uh, script, scriptural examples of people and their responses to physical harm. I'll go do the negative examples first. Um, Abraham in Genesis 12 specifically feared Pharaoh physical harm or death at the hands of Pharaoh, so he decided to lie about Sarah being his wife. He feared man. It wasn't that he had been abused or harmed in any way. He feared the potential of future harm and chose to lie. The Israelites. The Israelites feared the report of the spies returning from scouting out Cana in Numbers 13, 26 to 33. We see 10 of the 12 spies that returned from the promised land came back physically fearing the Canaanites rather than trusting in God. <clears throat> Peter. Peter is another example of both negatively and positively. He is a man in whom we can look to and be confident there is grace and forgiveness for those who fear. We see that Peter denied Christ three times during his trial because he feared others finding out that he was a follower of Christ. Notice also the shame and regret that accompanied his fearing a man above God. Yet we see that this same man would later tell Christians not to fear physical harm. In 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 15, Peter says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ as Lord. And here are some positive examples. Joshua. <clears throat> Joshua was one of the 12 spies who tried to persuade the Israelites not to give in to their fear. We see that the Lord later blesses him in life as a result of his trust and courage. Esther in Esther 5, verses 1 through 8. 
knew that her proposal to King Xerxes regarding Haman and Mordecai could have resulted in her immediate death. King Xerxes was an absolute ruler, and when he ordered someone to be executed, there was no appeal, no recourse to a higher form of government. And yet she showed great fear of the Lord and became an agent of blessing to her people. Daniel and his friends, as recorded in the book of Daniel, chose to fear the Lord above the possibility of physical harm from people. And this was not a hypothetical possibility of fear. It was real. Fiery furnaces and ferocious felines. Also, King David had many opportunities to give in the fear of man in relationship to physical harm. Yet we see that he often responded with a deep fear of the Lord, as, as we see in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Paul. Paul was a man that caused much physical harm to many early Christians. He was, man, he was also a man who experienced great physical harm for the gospel, anticipated future physical harm, prayed for confidence and not for fear, and did face future, future harm and death. In the Second Corinthians, verse 11:23 to 12:10. Paul describes many of the things he physically suffered at the hands of others and concludes by saying this, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We see also in Hebrews 11, people who were previously struggling with fear of physical harm now praise for their great faith. People like Abraham Moses, Baraka, and Samson. We see also in verses 35 to 40, graphic descriptions of those who did not give in to the fear of physical harm, but faced incredible suffering and death for the sake of the gospel. And the, writers of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrew says, the world was not worthy of them. And then there was Jesus in Luke 9.22. Jesus says, um, I'm sorry, Luke says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise again. He follows by saying that anyone that would follow him must be willing to follow in the same way. Later in the garden, in Luke 22:42, Jesus says, Father, if, it's your, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. Jesus did not desire to face the cup of God's wrath the separation from his father, the pain and suffering that that moment would entail. Yet he did face those things. He did suffer. He did die. And now he is able to understand our temptations. According to Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect who has been tempted, as we are, but yet was without sin. Let us now be confident and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This truth empowers us to begin to understand how we can walk in trust and obedience in the fear of physical harm from other people. We follow one who knows this struggle. Point seven. Responding to fear. Fear of physical harm from other people 
is a real temptation. And we can respond to this fear in a variety, a variety of ways. The culture at large, our culture would have us convinced that we need to view the struggle from either a victim's perspective or a stoic's perspective. <clears throat> a victim's perspective. <clears throat> Such a perspective sees all fears and struggles excused as a result of the actions or sins of other people. A victim says, I have a right to feel this way because of what he or she did to me. Or, how could I not fear that every man will treat me in, the way my, in, in, in this way after what I have gone through? Or, how could I ever trust again after what my father did to me? How could I ever trust that group of people after what they did to me or, or, or those from my ethnic background? Or how can I not be paralyzed from living a normal life after what happened in my neighborhood? A Stoic's response. A typical response is to minimize the effect of fear is a Stoic or stiff upper lip approach. This perspective sees it as a sign of weakness to ever admit that you feared other people. If I admit that I feel physical harm from others, doesn't that open me up to what I fear? Many of us have been uh, affected and, may, and may, maybe are still being affected by a secular approach to dealing with this type of fear. So how do we begin to change the gospel? <clears throat> so how does the gospel bring, <clears throat> begin to address our fear of harm? We begin to recognize that the worst harm has already been experienced by Jesus' death on the cross for us. Yet in given his life, he did not fear the imminent physical harm from his creatures. But he trusted and feared his father. Those of us who have experienced physical harm from others are able to more clearly understand how Christ suffered in this particular way. As we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we realize that our sins necessitated his death. In a sense, each of us has been responsible for physically harming another in the deepest way. We are forgiven as a result of what Christ has done. This forgiveness points us the way towards forgiving others instead of fearing them. We recognize that as we follow Christ, we will face suffering. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. We will face physical harm, rejection, shame, if we follow the way of the cross. The purpose of this course and the purpose of the gospel is not to give us a way to escape these things, but rather to cause us to fear and trust in the Lord more than we fear man. The gospel also brings us into membership into a new family, the church, a place where those who have been harmed, those who have caused harm, those who have feared and those who have been feared can all know reconciliation and fellowship because of the forgiveness and mercy found through the one who gave himself for us. So let's spend a few minutes now thinking back over a couple of the ways we fear harm from others. Let us think together about what it would mean for the gospel to penetrate that fear. But let's think beyond merely how the gospel allows us to correctly handle our fears and let us think about how our experiences and fear of physical harm can actually serve to highlight and advance the gospel. Let's think about the, using a few of the categories that we have already considered, categories like the fear of physical abuse, verbal assaults, and racism. 
So physical abuse. The Lord will ultimately protect his children. Any physical harm we encounter in this life is part of God's sovereign plan and good plan for our lives. It is not random and not without purpose. This will help us from wrongly comparing our fears or experiences to those of others. We can forgive, the, we can forgive and love those who have harmed us because Christ has already done that for each of us. Verbal assaults. <clears throat> Christ endured both physical harm and cruel, cruel insults from others. If actual, if actual physical harm can lead to a sense of victimization, this type of attack can more often tend towards a, a Stoic's response. We should respond like Christ, who did not respond with counter-assaults. We love and serve others regardless of how we fear <clears throat> or that they may take advantage of our love. Racism. Within the body of Christ, we get the opportunity to demonstrate that our fear of those visibly different from us has been removed. So before we conclude today, is there any comments or questions that anyone would like to raise? <clears throat> hey, Martin. Scripture says you, you is not just Yes. 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 If if anyone is struggling with that, you should definitely talk to another person. Yeah. Anyone you trust, you should talk to. Yes. Yes, Skyla. Good insight. Thanks, Skylar. Yes. 
So we're running out of time here. So um, next week, we're going to look at a new vision for life, a vision of loving God and of loving others. And uh, we'll see what, where that takes us. So when I just close this in a word of prayer, and then we can get a cup of coffee before the service starts. Uh, Father in heaven, we just thank you for this time. Father, we pray that you would give us the correct pers- perspectives related to the fear of man and to the fear of God. Help us to not to live in fear of others. We thank you for Jesus' example of how he dealt with insults and physical harm and even death. Father, help us to live in light of that knowledge. And Father, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So